Okay. Hi, everyone. Thanks for coming to the camp service at ENV. I'm Nate Lim. I'm one of the elders of this church. Um, my good friend Margot and I uh, direct Camp 8. She can't be here because she's at our friend's RCMP school graduation, but she says hi. Um, and we are so glad to welcome you here. So uh, to start off this portion of the service, I'd like to, like to invite up some friends. Colby, why don't you come up? Victor. Where, where's Victor, my man? Oh, seriously. It's okay. Maybe he'll know to come right now, but that's okay. Um, yeah, the Bible says that two are better than one. And uh, maybe eventually I'll even get three, which will be even better than two. So, Colby, what did you do at camp this year? I was a camper. <laughs> was it exciting? Very exciting. It was a good experience. What were your highlights? Uh, every year, chapel was a highlight for me, but this year I got baptized, so that was one of my big things. That is excellent. Tell me a little bit about baptism and why and how it's been. Uh, it's been good, and I've always wanted to be at Anvil for it to happen because it's such a special place for me, and to be able to do it in front of all my friends and really commit myself to God was something special. Amazing, bro. Now, um, we were talking earlier this week, and uh, you know, we talked about a bunch of different things that um, we might say, and it seemed like God was teaching you some things, so why don't you talk about that? Uh, so before, I've always had a Christian family and faith, but uh, it's been harder recently, especially last year, just with my school group and everything. It's not, it's not Christian. So this year, God wants me to be more bold with my friend group. So I'm just coming into the school year with a different mindset and attitude and really trying to reach them and bring them to Christianity. I am so impressed. Um, you know, I said, hey, man, do you, do you want me to, like, ask you anything in particular? And he sends me a text back, and he says, well, why don't you ask me um, how I'm going to use what I learned at camp this year at school, at school? And I just thought, like, here's a man who you know, is asking for you guys to hold him accountable to that. So, Colby, what are you going to do differently this year? What are you going to learn? At, what, 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 what are you going to do with what you learned at camp this year? Uh, so, we did this thing with Carmen, and she made us come up with a name for ourselves and scratch out an old name. So, before I was ashamed, and now I'm bold. Mm -hmm. So, I f I'm going to take what I've learned from God and just who he is and bring him to my community at school. Man, that's awesome. I'm so excited for that. Thank you so much for sharing, bro. I really appreciate it. Everyone say hi to Victor. Now, Victor, what did you do at camp this year? Uh, I did counseling for Camp 8, Ca Cabin Ebenezer. Tell me, tell me about your experiences. Uh, to be honest, it actually wasn't the easiest going to camp. I was super excited, but I was also very stressed out and kind of in a spiritually low spot heading into camp. But on Monday, Carmen, the speaker, talked to us about being still and being silent in the presence of God. And the verse she quoted was from Psalm 46.10. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted on the earth. And I found that super interesting because that was a verse I'd been meditating on for like the last three years. What does it mean to be still? What does it mean to know something? And what does it mean that he is God? So Carmen made us do this exercise where we'd, uh, 
we were supposed to find an isolated place and to sit out there and to just kind of watch nature, listen, just sit. And so I found a rock, I sat there, and I listened to the birds sing. I, saw, I felt the wind, and I saw the trees. And in those things, I felt like God was speaking to me. Things like, why did the trees bear fruit? And what type of fruit did they bear? How do those birds know what sound they're supposed to make? And how do they know what songs to sing? How does the wind know which direction it's supposed to go? At one point in time, none of it knows any of these things. All it knows is that it's created and it's meant to exist. But as humans, we're so different. God gave us a conscience. God gave us a soul. God gave us the opportunity to communicate with him and to have this relationship with him. So we can actually ask him, why do we exist? What is this all about? What is life for? And I think in those 15 minutes of silence, God was speaking to me through that. So um, what, are you, what are you gonna do this year with, uh, with your experiences at camp? Uh, for me, I still wanna continue to practice being still. One of the things that's hardest about being still is anxiety. Thinking about work or finances or relationships or whatever else it may be. In those moments, those are the hardest to be still. If somebody tells you to be still, the first thing you wanna do is just squirm. <laughs> yeah, so I'm working on that, being still. I'm not very good at that myself, buddy, so maybe what uh, you learned should rub off on me. Thank you, Vic. Well, Everyone give him a hand. Oh, it was really nice chatting with Colby this week as he prepared his testimony. Um, I just love that. I mean, I mean, not to be weird or nothing, but I mean, I remember reading Colby a bedtime story when he was like this big. So now he's all big and he's doing high school and stuff. Oh, man, it just makes me feel so proud. So during our conversation, I was really struck with what he talked about, this sort of the struggle uh, to do the right thing in the face of peer pressure. So last week, um, during Vision, Vision Sunday, Greg, Pastor Greg told us that our problem in evangelism, which I think is our problem in general, isn't the wrong solutions, but rather that we don't have the right problem. So, and perhaps if we had the right problem, we would seek God for the correct solution. So, I don't know about you, but I got lots of problems. I don't know if my wife's here. She would probably be like, amen. <laughs> but honestly, we all face many struggles on a daily basis. Anxiety about our finances, relationships. And like Colby talked a little bit about our concern for our own image, this idea of being ashamed or being scared. Our, our society's response to all this is psychology. Strategies for well-being, mindfulness, meditation, counseling. And these things all have their place. But as believers, I believe that we have something better. So, I've titled today's message, The Solution to All Your Problems. <laughs> but before I talk about the solution, I want to tell you about your number one problem. My number one problem. I shared this very similar message with my staff on day one, so I half apologize, staff, for repeating myself, uh, but I feel that this is a message worth repeating. Um, I think it's going to be really worthwhile. So I've been reading the book of Ezekiel. How many people have read the book of Ezekiel? Be honest now. Less than half of you. Super weird book. Okay, pretty tough. At one point, God calls Ezekiel to lie down on his left side for 390 days eating bread baked over cow poo. How's that for your call as a prophet? And then after he's done that, remember that's more than a year of lying on your side eating bread baked over cow poo. God says, now you can turn over. Lie on your right side. 
Apparently, this was to symbolize 390 years of Israel's sin and 40 years of Judah's sin. How's that for a full-time job? Let's just say I'm glad for the new covenant. (laughs) But I encourage you when you read Ezekiel for yourself to use some resources to help you understand it. I like a commentary or there are these awesome videos called the Bible Project videos. So just for a little context with Ezekiel, Ezekiel was a prophet during the time of the exile. The nation of Israel had been defeated by Assyria and they were deported. Like basically all of Israel was like taken away to Assyria because Assyria came and killed lots of them and then whatever wasn't left, they took them away to Assyria. So Judah, which actually had been relatively more righteous than Assyria, or sorry, than Israel, they held out a little longer, but eventually they were also defeated and they were uh, carted off. And so Ezekiel was one of the first Judean exiles who was living in Babylon. Um, He was a Levite, he was a priest, uh, but also he was a prophet. And a prophet, as you'll recall, is one whose job is to hear God and communicate his words to his people. So it's in this context of extreme distress, one of the worst periods of Israel and Judah's history, um, that God speaks to the prophet. So um, in chapter 8, Ezekiel sees a vision. It's a big chunk of scripture. Um, I hope you don't mind if I summarize it for you. Please feel free to read it on your own later. In the, vi- in the vision, Ezekiel, who lives in Babylon, is brought in the spirit back to Jerusalem. God takes him to the entrance of the inner court of the temple, and right at the entrance of the inner court, he sees an idol there. But despite the fact that there's an idol right in God's temple, it says that the presence of God's glory, the glory of the God of Israel, was right there in the temple as well. Then Ezekiel is shown a hole in the wall, and he's instructed to dig down and look inside, and inside, He pulls out some of these stones. He finds 70 elders and one of the main leaders of the Israelites, and they're burning incense to idols in secret. Then God takes him back to the entrance, and there's a group of women there bowing down and worshiping a a god called Tammuz. Tammuz is a Babylonian god whose sort of death and resurrection was seen to have uh, an effect on the change of seasons. And lastly, Ezekiel is shown in the inner court Um, of the temple, a group of men, and they're all facing east, um, which is significant because their backs are turned to the temple. And these men were bowing down, and they were worshiping the sun. So, you know, here's Ezekiel. He's in Babylon. He sees this vision of Jerusalem, and in Jerusalem, there's four different images of idolatry. Now we move to chapter 10. The vision continues. Ezekiel has shown the glory of God. Without getting into the details, it's a little weird. There's, it's awesome. There's a throne. There's angels with four faces. There's wheels, intersecting wheels. There's eyes all over everything. It's incredible. Um, but then, here's the point. Listen to this. Ezekiel watches as the glory of the Lord rises and departs from the temple. God shows Ezekiel a vision of his full glory and shows him how it is Israel's idolatry that has resulted in God's glory leaving the temple. So here's a question for you. Where is the glory of God in your life? Where is the glory of God in your life? If you feel the absence of God's glory, 
like he's far away, like you can't feel him, like when you pray, nothing happens. Ask yourself why God's glory has departed your life. You see, your main problem, my main problem, just like the Israelites, is idolatry. I'm going to say that again. Your main problem, my main problem, just like the Israelites, is idolatry. Right in the inner courts of God's temple, the Israelites were worshiping idols. God says in chapter 8, verse 6, Son of man, do you see what they're doing? The utterly detestable things the Israelites are doing here in the temple. Things that will drive me far from my sanctuary. We drive God's glory out of our lives with idols. You might say, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't bow down to any statues. I don't offer sacrifices to my car or, or my career. But don't you? So the commentary I've been reading is written by a guy named Warren Wearsby. And uh, he defines an idol as anything that takes the place of God, anything to which we devote our energy and time, or for which we make sacrifices because we love it and serve it. I'm going to read it again. An idol is anything that takes the place of God, anything to which we devote our energy and time, or for which we make sacrifices because we love it and serve it. To what do you devote your energy and time? What do you make sacrifices for because you love it? Like Colby, I love being liked. It's like my favorite thing. When I was his age, I had a crush on every girl. <laughs> I did so many things to make people, especially the ladies, really like me. And fortunately for me, and by God's grace, my awkwardness afforded me very limited success in that area. <laughs> I would devote so much energy and time and sacrifice chasing a dream of popularity. A sacrifice. I sacrificed so many things to chase this dream of popularity, and I was so broken no matter how hard I tried, I could never feel liked enough. I could never feel approved enough. And the glory of the Lord was absent in my life. It is still a daily struggle for me to do things not for the approval of my wife, my friends, my coworkers, but to live for the glory of God. So, you know, it's an Old Testament thing. There's a vision. There's like people worshiping idols and... And, and, and bowing to the sun, and it seems ridiculous, doesn't it? But when you think about this definition, what do you love? What do you serve? What takes the place of God? What do you sacrifice for? This is the same problem that we have today. Your number one problem has nothing to do with peer pressure at school, financial stress, your conflict with your spouse. It has everything to do with who your God is. So, one of the sessions at camp, our excellent speaker, Carmen, talked about the power of repetitive prayer. She told the story of a persistent widow who was granted a request by an unjust judge, not because he cared about her, but because she kept bugging him over and over again. Carmen invited us to ask God um, to show us prayer that we were to repeat over and over and over so that we could be changed. The prayer that I felt for me was this. I will have 
no other gods before you. I will have no other gods before you. I will have no other gods before you. So this comes from Exodus 20 where the Ten Commandments are written. Let me read you the first bit. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Friends, where, where are you struggling? Are you worried about your finances? Who's your God? If your God is yourself and your ability to make money, then you have great reason to be anxious. Make God Lord of your finances in your expenditures, in your tithes. Trust him with your money and see what he's going to do. How's your relationship with your spouse, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your friends? Is there tension? Is there sin? Who is your God? If your God is yourself and your leisure, your pleasure, then your spouse, your partner, your friends, they'll never be good enough to meet your needs. If your God is your wife, your husband, or your peers, and they're the only thing that makes you feel accepted and happy, then inevitably they will always fall short and they will not be able to provide you the security that you need. What about your career? Are you grasping for that next level? Are you willing to sacrifice and put in the extra time to get where you want to be? Get, you, get where you want to be at the expense of spending time with God and getting into godly community? When will you arrive at this next level? And when will you be satisfied? Just like the Israelites in the inner court of the temple, we turn our backs on God and we bow down to things that we hope will provide us security and significance. In the inner courts of our hearts, we turn towards people or career or money to soothe our brokenness. And the glory of the Lord is absent in our lives. So what does repentance look like? How do you move forward? Okay, now here's the solution to all your problems. Are you ready? Okay? Have no other gods before him. I will have no other God before you. I will have no other God before you. When you make God, God in your life, and you put him first, that changes everything. So don't just look to him for salvation. You know, like Don said, honor him as Lord. When you feel anxious, State your trust in him. When you're lonely, look to him for approval. When you burn with temptation, seek him for strength. What if instead of spending our time and energy trying to convince people to like us, we were able to seek out God's love for us and receive his acceptance first? Wouldn't that be revolutionary? So I believe that all the problems we face can be summarized in the question of which God we will serve. God or ourselves. God or others. God or our possessions, careers, families, etc. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength and love your neighbor as yourselves. All the law and the prophets are summed up in these two commands. So worship team, why don't you come on up? So before I, I let you go, I mean, 
this, this message is impractical in a lot of senses, but it is so uber-practical in every way. You know, when I think about anything that stresses me out, anything that, that causes me grief or distress, just make God my God in that area of my life. And so I, I was praying about um, what I was going to talk about, and this is the passage that um, sprung to mind. It's from Psalm 25. In you, Lord, my God, I put my trust. I trust in you. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame, but shame will come on those who are treacherous without cause. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. God, we think about um, how in so many ways we are broken and how I feel as though in many areas of my life your glory is absent. I think about how uh, I have worshipped other gods in so many areas. I have worshipped myself. I have worshipped my family. I have worshipped um, my image uh, above you. And because of that, I push your glory away. God, that, that is not what I want to be true for my life, and that is not what we want to be true for our lives, God. I pray as we face a new, a new school year um, that we would be able to turn our faces to you, that, God, we would be able to trust in you. Show us your ways, Lord. Teach us your paths. Guide us in your truth and teach us. For you are God, our Savior, and our hope is in you all day long. God, we ask that you would show us how you could be our God and reveal to us areas of idolatry so that we can remove those things and break them down. And uh, I ask uh, that we would trust in you more and more. We ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Nate. Isn't that helpful? I am... I can't agree more. And we have up here communion. And if you would like to come up and receive communion, you can just come up, take the, the juice and the bread, and uh, go over to the side and pray. You can be in a group. All that's great. But let this be a demonstration of what Nate has talked about. I, I think that he has described the root problem of all things. And the root solution is right here. So if you would like to make that statement today that my, uh, I will not be defined by my sexuality, I will not be defined by my possessions, I'll not be defined by my intelligence, I won't be defined by the people around me, I'm going to be defined by who Jesus is in my life. And if you want to make that statement, this would be an outstanding way to demonstrate that. So as we continue to worship, we encourage you to come forward. Thank you, Nate.